Hello and welcome to the Everything Is Black and White podcast live here from Chronicle Towers, doing something a little bit new, and I'm hoping that the technology doesn't fail us. It's taken us quite a while just to get this stage. Fingers crossed you can see us live on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. I'm Andrew Musco, join Baron Stokes, and fingers crossed you can hear us all, all right. We're going to talk about Newcastle United. It might be the off-season, but plenty going on. Aaron, we'll start with the news yesterday that Dan Ashworth has finally been appointed as sporting director, isn't it? It's waiting for approval off the Premier League, but the news that everybody expected, news that has been welcomed not only by Newcastle fans, but if you look on social media, it's universally being said as a very, very good appointment. Um, what do you make of that news? Yeah, a big appointment and one that fans are rightly calling you know, one of the biggest signs of the summer. Yes, you know, he won't be able to help on the pitch, but I think, you know, what he's going to do off the pitch um, is going to make Newcastle United as a club and as a whole much better. Um, vastly experienced, you know, he's worked at the FA um, with England, with West Brom, with Brighton more recently. Um, and yeah, you know, I was listening to an interview that uh, Dan Ashworth did earlier this season on BT, talking about his role on the South Coast of Brighton. And interesting to see how... He described, you know, what he was doing on, uh, with the Seagulls, you know, saying that his role essentially had six six points, you know, men's team, women's team, academy, player recruitment and loans. So I feel like, you know, he's going to walk into this job at Newcastle where they haven't really had someone, you know, doing that type of role. You know, we've had Lee Charlie in the past who we didn't really know what his sort of role was. You've got players like Shaw in there, who was obviously loan manager and stuff. So it's going to be interesting to see how he works with that, but hugely positive appointment and I think one that fans are rightly excited about. Yeah, I've got plenty of people in the comments talking about this um, uh, and as look at how the comments have just zoomed up the screen there. I can't afford to put on, on the screen, but there's loads of people in the comments saying how excited they are about this appointment. Um, and it is a big appointment. I mean, he was linked not that long ago to the Manchester United role in terms of being a sport or technical director. It is very much a statement of intent, I feel, from Newcastle United to have gone after someone with the reputation of Dan Ashworth because while he doesn't court publicity within the footballing game, he is known. You know, he has got a big reputation and he's got a success to back it up. He's worked with England, he's worked with, England, he's worked with West Brom. You know, there's, a, there's a, an article down um, in the Express and Star in the Midlands in which he's credited with setting up the, one of the best scout systems. Um, that West Brom ever ever had, and that shows you the success he's had. Of course, Brighton, as we've spoken about there, he's you know instrumental to their success, especially in the last few years. His success has you know he's proven he can do it, and it is it is a big big statement of intent from Newcastle United. Yeah, I think you've hit the nail on the head there. While you know to the outsiders or to you know general football fans, it might not feel like he's a big name. Anybody you speak to in football who has worked with him, has worked close with them. You know, has only got positive things to say about his reputation. The challenge, I suppose, now is that he's entering a completely different ball game. You know, he's been at West Brom, who are a yo-yo club. He's been at Brighton, who, yes, they've done well to stay in the Premier League, but they're working on a limited budget. Dan Ashworth now has got a whole different thing on his hands. You know, he's at, you know, the richest club in the world, or, you know, they're going to have money to throw about. They're going to, you know, be linked with all these top players. And Ashworth now needs to obviously make that change from, you know, the sort of lowly Brighton and... and managing their expectations of making them a top 10 club, which is what Tony Bloom, the chairman, wanted, to, you know, take Newcastle United to the next step. But as we've, as we've said, 
anybody that's worked with them has got nothing but glowing reviews to say about them. And, it, and it's a hugely exciting time and, and good that they've got it done so quickly in the window. How important do you think it is that? Because there were there was talks of him not coming in until November. He, he was put on guard and leave. How important to Newcastle's summer transfer plans do you think it is that he has been brought in before the window's even open? Yeah, huge. I mean, look, I don't know how much of an impact it's going to have on the players we sign this summer. You know, the, the owners and, and those who have been working at the club since the takeover will have had the plans thrown up. You know, they've had the targets, you know, probably locked in for a while. Ashworth coming in probably won't change who they want to sign, but I think it's important that rather than getting him after the season started in October, November, which was rumoured, they've got him in nice and early. He's got the full summer to work with the owners, Eddie Howe, any players that come in, get a plan sorted for what they want to do going forward next season. Um, so it might be important that they've got it done before the transfer window started. We've got a comment here from Hardy, and he says, I hope you will do a great job and not sell our good players and that in many ways is one of the differences isn't it you know where brighton you, you kind of think they get to a certain level so you look at someone like ben white you know brilliant center back performs really well arsenal come with a 50 million pound bid and brighton some would argue in many ways have no option but to sell they will reinvest that and continue to to have their ambitions to break into the top 10 whereas here in newcastle we see in the next few years that if they've got a really good player, one, two, let's say Bruno Gomes, for example, they're not going to end up selling him unless it's a really, really daft bit because they want to build their team around the best players. And that's the kind of difference that Dan Ashworth is going to have to get used to, where if Brighton, like I say, a big bit comes in, the best players probably head on down the road. Yeah, definitely. Like I said, I go back to that BT Sport interview that I was watching this morning and, you know, they were rightly praising for the job that Brighton had done, but even Ashworth himself was saying, you know, our aim is to get into the top 10. You know, that was their sort of ceiling. Um, and as you say, you know, the likes of Ben White this summer, it's probably going to be, you know, the likes of Basuma. If a big, big comes in, those players at Brighton are going. Newcastle now, their aim is, you know, they're not going to be a selling club anymore. You know, the only real sort of high profile player that we've seen linked to an exit is St. Maximum. And we don't actually know, you know it's, I think we'd probably be fairly confident that he'll probably be here after the summer. So, yeah, this is the this is the challenge now from taking Newcastle United to a mid-table team to a top half team and above. But I think Ashworth will be critical in that. Got Bill Pringle saying it's a cracking addition, and that let's say seems to be the opinion of many many people and, and a lot of respected people within the game. And it's it's probably I think expected when you look at his CV. You know, working like I say with England, he had a really big role in. And he would say kind of laying the foundations for the success that England side has had in, in recent years. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, anybody that's spoken from his time at the FA has you know, been very, very you know, positive about him. It's interesting now, you know, the, the thing I'm thinking of now is, is that at Brighton, you know, they didn't have the sort of mismanagement that Newcastle have got. You know, Tony Bloom's done a fantastic job for many years in sort of building that club. Now, you know, we, we still know Newcastle have got roles to fill, you know, they're still going to be looking for a CEO who's probably going to be a non-football man. But Ashworth had this amazingly close relationship with Tony Bloom and it was Tony Bloom's vision for the club which Ashworth had to make work. This time he's got a chairman in, Mr. Yasser Aramayan, who, you know, how much of the day-to-day running is he actually going to be involved in? Is he just a public face for the Saudis? Ashworth, you know, might not have that close communication with him. That's probably where Stavely and uh, Murdad and Ruben and, uh, and the CEO, when they appoint it, comes in. 
but it's going to be interesting to see who he works with, I think, and what the sort of day-to-day running is, and who he sort of reports to on, on that front. We'll have another episode coming up later in the week about Dan Ashworth. I caught up with Richie Mills from Sussex Live, who's the Brighton reporter down there, and he provided a bit of insight into how Dan Ashworth worked with Graham Potter and, and, and his overall kind of scope throughout the club. And one of the things that stood out was that he liked to have attention to deal on every element of the club, you know. He spoke about the seven bubbles of the football club and his job was to be at the centre of that, making sure everything's kind of in unison. And the other thing which you'll hear in that podcast is about the youth system. We had a big emphasis on youth. I think when you speak to Newcastle fans, and I'm sure plenty of you guys are watching this and will be listening later, that is one of the things people really want to see is more youngsters coming through the academy. We know the owners have that on their list to do. But they've now got a sporting director who has got not only, uh, we assume, hopes of doing that, but history of doing that. He's got a proven track record in bringing through youngsters through the Brighton Academy, or at least setting up the the, the structure to, to do that. And it's going to be really exciting to, to see if Newcastle can finally produce more than one or two youngsters from the academy. Yeah, I think you know part of his remit at Brighton, you know, he's made no secret the fact that how involved he was with the academy, but not just the players at the club. You know, he mentioned in previous interviews how important it was getting the right loans for these players. How many times over the last couple of years we've seen a promising Newcastle player, you know, doing really well in the academy, goes on loan, it, when it's maybe not the right move for him, he comes back to the club and sort of his progress is stalled. So, yeah, look, he's going to be hands-on. You look at the work he did with England, when he was technical director there, you know, the under-17s won the World Cup, the under-20s won the World Cup. So, Look, how much of that you know was his input? We we don't know, but you know it's clearly positive signs from the outset. An interesting question here from Hassan. He says, "Why did we go and get a new sporting director from Brighton and not bring Kevin Keegan in as sporting director?" I mean, what I would say to that is that if you're looking for a sporting director, Dan Ashworth is pretty much the best man you can get, and he's at the top of his game. And Brighton didn't want to lose him. Like I said earlier on the show, he was he was linked to a similar role at Manchester United. This is a big appointment, and we said there it is a statement of intent. There are few people who have got a better reputation, especially in the English game, than, than Dan Ashworth when it comes to to turning a club into a force in the Premier League. Yeah, look, they've gone out and got the best of the best. You know, when this takeover happened, and everyone was speculating as to who was going to come in and CEO, sporting director, technical director, all these roles that they had to fill. Hundreds of names were mentioned, you know, you know, people that have done the job in France with Monaco, people that have done it, you know, like Peter Kenyon, Man United, all these names linked, and they've gone out and got, you know, someone who's respected as one of the best. You know, when it comes to Keegan, look, I think we'd all love to see him back in the basketball, but there's a man who's been out of football for a long time. Um, yes, his knowledge of Newcastle is probably, you know, second to none, but in the modern game, you know, how much of a use is he going to be in that sporting director role rather than Let's get them on the world stage, you know, showing off Newcastle United as a club rather than, you know, picking who the academy is, you know, going up quite and stuff like that. So that's probably the answer to that question. But in terms of Ashworth, yeah, they've, they've, they've went out and got a top, top name. And also the other thing for me is that he's not coming in with a business head, so to speak. He's, you know, he's dipped his football in the, in the, in the game. He was part of the Norwich Academy and he was released as a, as a teenager. So he's coming in knowing what those youngsters you know, now in the Newcastle Academy are going through, knowing that they could be out of the club in, in a year. I mean, just in the likes of Tom Allen released and what have you, he was held up as one of the, the big names to come. So, you know, 
when he talks about, or oh, like we think he will approach uh, you know, the Newcastle Academy the same way he approached the Brighton Academy, when he, you know, he knows what these players are going through, I think that's really key to be approaching such a, an important role where you are bringing the club together right from the first team down to the women's team because he had a lot of it, emphasis, a lot of work with their whole Powell down at Brighton, who's manager of the women's side down there. You know, when you're, as Dan Ashworth has previously said, at the centre of all that, it's good to come in with um, with that football and knowledge of how people are feeling when you're making these big decisions. So it's it's, it's a brilliant appointment. It really is, in my view. And I'm, I'm excited to see how he can um, lead Newcastle into the next chapter. Lots of people in the comments asking about transfers. And we are going to talk about some of the links being thrown out. We'll start with one of the most bizarre links um, of the of, of the off season so far. I know we're only a couple of weeks into it, but it was linked with Neymar earlier this week, and you know straight away that's not not going to happen. Um, Neymar to Newcastle, but it does show Aaron just what Newcastle United fans are going to have to get used to. You are now going to see, you know, not just anybody link, but the world's best link, and it is simply because. People believe Newcastle have got an endless pot of money, which isn't necessarily the, the truth. And it's just something Newcastle fans are going to have to get used to. All these names have been thrown at them. Yeah, I think, look, if you're, if you're a fan of a top four club, you're probably used to it. And, you know, we've seen in the past players get linked with Manchester United, linked with Manchester City, in the hope that it puts a bit of pressure on their current club to, you know, offer them a better deal and stuff like that. You know, we know Newcastle aren't going to go and sign Neymar. You know, it's very unlikely that they're going to go and sign someone like Paul Pogba. You know, I would be... You know, much more confident in them going out and signing five or six players rather than sort of two or three absolutely brilliant beating players who are going to come in and absolutely disrupt the weight structure. So, look, Newcastle fans aren't daft. You know, the likes of Neymar, I don't think they're expecting that. I think, you know, they know that while there's money to spend, it's probably going to be a bit more of a measured summer. Um, but I think, you know, it's inevitable that these things are going to happen. But I think the club are a long way off, you know, signing players of that nature. Important point you mentioned there that no one's in, who supports Newcastle is expecting anything like that. Um, a really good comment here from David Leg says, I'm hoping fans take on board that it is not about a quick fix rather than a slow, deliberate rebuild of everything within the club. Dan is a superior appointment, time to restructure. That's what's important. And yeah, it's a valid point. And I think I actually think the majority, if not all Newcastle fans, understand that is what's going to happen. It's not going to happen overnight. You're looking at it in a project over at the very least a few seasons and it, the noise tends to be from elsewhere people who don't follow newcastle maybe say on a certain media outlets on a national scale tend to throw unfair accusations at newcastle fans that they're expecting and back and that day and name up but that's not the case you know newcastle fans are very very realistic about what's ahead of them yeah definitely i mean look it would be fantastic to send the next one back in but it's, we all know it's not going to happen. So that's why the links become tedious and, you know, fans don't really like seeing it. And, you know, we'll never report on the comic and stuff like that, you know, unless we think that there's any sort of inkling that's going to happen. But I think everybody is now pulling in the same direction. If you speak to how if you speak to the players, they all know that this season was about surviving relegation, nothing really more. It was a bonus that they finished as high as they did. Next season, they're looking at material rather than down, you know, top half is probably going to be the aim with one eye maybe on Europe. Then after that, after you've had a season or 18 months, you know, of stability, you know, any other relegation zone, you've brought in some really top-class players, you know, similar to the likes of Trippier and Bruno, then you can start really looking to sort of disrupt the 
you know, the so-called big six. But I think Newcastle fans on the whole are realistic about not just transfers, but where we're going to finish next season. And I think, you know, if you ask the, you know, the vast majority of them, I think they'd say Europe would be good. But, you know, if they're around the top 10 and they're sort of around the sort of Wolves, Aston Villa, West Ham mark next season, then it'll probably be a positive one. Younger Holly asks, what is the mandate for Eddie Howe for the up and coming season? And will the club fully back him with the players that he wants? Just briefly touched on it there, but I mean, like you say, probably breaking up the top 10 is a, is a realistic ambition. Yeah, I would say so. Look, it's easy to, it's easy to think, look, Newcastle are the richest club in the world. Why can't they be challenging for Europe next season? But you look at the strength of that league now, and you look at the strength of the clubs that are around Newcastle. Aston Villa are already sort of setting the the level for this transfer window and the players that they're signing. Wolves will strengthen, West Ham will strengthen, Everton are going to come back with a vengeance if they haven't got too many financial problems. And then before we've even mentioned, you know, Leicester and Tottenham and Arsenal, who are, you know, they can't even break at the top four. So top half is probably the one, you know, where I'd say it would be a, a successful season with maybe sort of an eye on a European push. But I think, you know, it, it, we need to sort of keep the feet on the ground when we're uh, I'm not talking about expectations at the minute. We'll talk about some of the players who have been linked on a bit more realistic than Neymar. Dean Edison is one name that's been flying about. And it's interesting because I think you look at Martin De Bravka, I you do need another keeper of at least his level to come in and, and, and push him for a place. That's no disrespect to Carl Darlow or Freddie Woodman or Mark Gillespie, but they're not at Debravka's level. Um, but it's Henderson really the keeper to do that in your opinion i mean i would look at like the uh the keeper at brighton i think he he sanchez he's performed really well and there are other keepers that if you're going to spend 15 20 25 million on i think are probably a little bit better than than dean henderson yeah look i mean henderson you know he, he came through as this big prospect at manchester united everyone thought that he was going to swoop in and steal david here's you know number one jersey that hasn't been the case couple of loan spells where they've been a bit hit and miss. Look, clearly highly rated by Man United, but not enough to, you know, dislodge the hair. So is he gonna come in and, and take the Bradford spot? I'm not I'm not sure. I think when you look at the likes of other links we've seen for goalkeepers, you know, let's just say what a Sam Kepper from Chelsea. I feel like he's the type of player where you could see him thinking, yeah, he could probably take the Bradford spot. Henderson's still young, um, not too much sort of first team experience at United. Um so it, I think it would be a case of him coming in and sort of battling Dubravka for the number one. But I agree with what you're saying. I do feel like we need another goalkeeper of a similar strength. Carl Dolph had a very good start of the season and everyone was praising him for filling in for Dubravka. But is he the man's over a sort of eight, nine month season that consistently challenge him? I don't think so. So I do agree that they probably do need a, a backup or, you know, someone of the same level this summer. But I wouldn't say it's a priority by any, any means. A few people are asking about the search for left-back. Matt Target did excellent uh, during his loan spell, but things have gone a little bit quiet on that front. They've been linked to Lodi from Atletico Madrid. Uh, do you, I mean, in your opinion, is, does Matt Target deserve a chance to come back, or do you think we will move on to other targets like this, Atletico Madrid left-back? Look, I think you can't, you can't say Matt Target's anything wrong this season. He's came in... Um, you know, he previously won Aston Villa's player of the season, but had just completely fallen off the boil. And I remember when we signed Target in January, I was speaking to someone who follows Aston Villa regularly and they were saying, you know, he's just not the same player anymore. And I don't think he'll do very well. Obviously, he's came in, he's found form. 
He's found regular games, he stayed fit, and he how loves them. The fans clearly love him. But every time you know us as journalists asked Eddie Howe towards back end of the season, there was any update, it was always, well, you know, just gonna wait and see. And as the time ticks on, you slowly start to think, well, you know, why haven't I wrapped it up yet? It should be an easy deal to do, it's 15 million pounds, there's a clause there. The player clearly wants to stay, Howe clearly loves them. The fact that he hasn't joined yet is probably putting a few doubts in a few people's minds as to whether he stays. Now, you know, you look at the links with Lodi from Atletico Madrid, player who's going to cost more he's you know he's won La Liga he's played in Champions League he's got vastly more experience despite being a younger player is this the level that they want to go to now are the owners looking and thinking well yeah Matt Harris did a very good job he's came in he's done what he was asked to for six months but we want to go bigger we want to go better and we want to sign players that are more experienced and are going to sort of elevate us to the next level Newcastle have probably got the funds to bring them both in whether they're well or not I don't know but I think the longer it goes on the less likely we want to see target Club. And sticking with the Aston Villa link there, we saw them earlier in the week strike a deal for Carlos, who was of course linked, or not just linked, Newcastle were very interested in in January. That bid's not bad, they were quoted along the lines of 64 65 million. He looks like he's going to be joining Villa for along in the region of maybe 24, 25, 28 million, which is a, a serious drop off, isn't it, to what Newcastle were quoted? I guess. Uh, for a start, that shows you the inflation in the January market. It probably also shows you a little bit of the inflation when it comes to Newcastle knocking. But thirdly, and I'll get you to call these three points, <laughs> thirdly, it shows you that maybe Newcastle, what they want in January is slightly different to what they want this summer. Look, I think in January, as you've touched on there, prices are always high. It doesn't matter whether you're Newcastle or you're Sunderland or any club, you know, you're always going to have to pay a premium. Severe at the time also in the run at the win La Liga, they were only a couple of points behind Madrid. In the winter, so you can understand why they wanted to you know, sort of ramp the price up. I am admittedly surprised at how much that price has fallen for Aston Villa. Um, but look, I think the club have looked at it. They were very, very keen in January. They ended up bringing in Dan Byrne for significantly cheaper than he's had you know, a good six months. They've probably looked at the summer and thought, he's 29, that's the last thing for you know, a decent chunk of money. Can we go out and get a cheaper or a younger alternative, which looks like they might be doing? Um, but I think it just goes to show the sort of ruthlessness of these owners that you know what might have suited them in January might not work this summer, and they don't mind. You know, they're they're happy to go and look at other targets, and they won't be sort of pressured into paying more than they should. Um, just diving at the comments there, Benjamin Torland says, "My feeling was target would be easier, quicker sort out as opposed to going fresh on a new target." Either way, they're both here come August, then we're laughing. It's just refreshing to see Newcastle actually in the market for not just one, two, three improvements. You know, where, where under Mike Ashley, you, you would be grateful. Grateful is the wrong word. You'd be shocked if there was any more than one serious addition to the squad. Whereas here, you know, they are looking at really adding to the squad this summer and so on and so on because they don't want to stand still. And that is refreshing. There was also a comment there from Roger Cooper saying that um, Eddie Howe needed. The same kind of time that Sir Bobby Robson was given. Bobby Robson didn't, you know, straight away take Newcastle up the league to title challengers. So he wants to see anyhow given the same time as Sir Bobby was. Um, on the centre back search now, we've seen Tyrone Mings linked. Uh, we don't think there's anything in that. I mean, Tyrone Mings for me is vastly overrated. I don't think he'd be an improvement on 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 Cher or Lascelles. We've seen Newcastle 
still interested in, in Sven Botman. Of course, that was another one they went for in January. The price again was, was up there with what was about 40 odd million, wasn't it? Uh, AC Milan, very interested. And it seems to be AC Milan versus Newcastle for the signature of Botman. Yeah, I mean, before the summer even started, and you know, Botman came out and said that Newcastle had been interested in January and that there's been talks and all that. All of a sudden, AC Milan, you know, burst in and it looked like they had an agreement sorted. You know, fast forward to a week ago, you've got AC Milan's, you know, President Paolo Maldini sort of all of a sudden playing down this rumour. So, is he playing that down to sort of save face or just to pe- keep people guessing? I don't know, but it does look between those two clubs. Um, look, if they can get Sven Botman in, you know, he's seven years younger than Diego Carlos. He's probably not going to cost much more. And, you know, from what I've been hearing of, from people, you know, France and who have watched him play for Lille, whoever gets in this summer is going to get, you know, a young centre-back who could go on to be one of the best in the world. So, you know, this is the levels that Newcastle are looking at now. Um, and, yeah, look, if they can get him in over AC Milan, what a statement it would be for the, uh, the rest of the window. Most certainly. Uh, we've got Peter Scullin asking about Pequeta, Pequeta rather, and Lingard. Uh, Lingard, I, don't, I can't see that one happening. Pequeta. Interesting, obviously, he's got that bromance with Bruno Gamrash. He's obviously a very, very good player in the Brazilian squad as well. But again, you know, they're being quoted a lot of money for these players. And it is really, you, you now look at the midfield and you go, well, actually, it's not it's not an area they need to really improve. If you were going to lay out their priorities, it's, it's, it's way down the list. Probably must, I'd say. You know, when you look at that midfield now, especially now you've tied down long stuff in that position, you've got five or six players that can rotate in that three, in that three um, that how to pick. Lingard, you know, there's talk that he's asking for far too much money. You know, the club are going to want to keep that wage structure as, you know, s- you know similar as it is now as possible. And then when you've got Paqueta, who would cost probably 58, 60 million is what they're talking about, as you say, in a position where it's not a priority, that's a massive part of your budget instantly gone on a, pl- on a player or position that you probably don't need to spend it on. So those two are names were Again, they're going to be linked. Keta's got that bromance with um, Bruno. Lingard is obviously going to leave Manchester United this summer. Um, but those are two that you know, I wouldn't be surprised if neither of them happened, to be fair. It's going to be a really interesting summer to, to keep on top of. And David Legg there mentions Atekia, who obviously Newcastle went for in January. He decided to stay in League 19 Yeah, well, then look, it's no secret that Newcastle are in the market for a new striker. They've got Callum Wilson. We hope he can keep fit and complete most of the season because when he is fit, he is an unbelievable forward. Um, I mean, look, people that watch it, he's got you know talent in abundance, but he's, he's very young. And coming from a league is very different to what Laguna is, the standard, the pace, the strength. Castle needs someone to match Callum Wilson from the off. Do you think he's the man to do it? No, I don't. I think looking at Dorian Ekatiki, as you said, he's very highly rated in France. You know, the papers dub him the next Mbappe. Um, and it's no surprise to see, you know, he's already been linked with Alexis Borussia Dortmund to replace Erlen Haaland and PSG, who are obviously linked with every big French talent. But I agree completely with what you say. You'd be bringing a 19-year-old into a new league, a new culture. If Wilson gets injured and he doesn't, you know, sort of meet that level of Premier League standards straight away, we're back to Chris Wood which, you know, we've had the last six months, it hasn't worked out. So I think if they are going to prioritise a striker this summer, look, by all means, bring that particular in, but there needs to be a sort of proven number nine 
that's going to come in and challenge Wilson in case he's fit next season. Is there anyone for you that stands out when you look around the Premier League or you look around Europe and you say, oh, realistically, he is someone Newcastle could get, could do a job. I mean, you've seen Calvin Lewin being linked, seen Adam Tony being linked, reportedly £40 million ask price for both of them, which, again, is astronomical. Would those two fit the bill, perhaps, for you? I think, look, Ivan Tony, there's a lot to talk about when there's that sentimental side of it. I wouldn't be sort of going near that with the money that they're asking for. Brentford are obviously desperate to keep them. Um, Calvert Lewin, if you can say fit, is clearly a top class striker. Um, he's had his issues this season. Arsenal linked with him, though, so he is a big name. How similar he is to Wilson, though, I'm not sure. This is the trouble with Newcastle. If they're going to go, look, we've said, Callum Wilson against Arsenal. If he put in performances like that every week and he could stay fit, there'd be no need to sign a striker because he is up there with like the top level. The problem for Newcastle is, do you get someone of the same ability as Wilson, who's battling them, like the DeBronca situation we've just talked about, but you're spending 40 million on them, or do you go that level above someone like Darwin Nunes? Look, I mean, I don't think Newcastle are going to beat the likes of my United to him this summer, but do they go for that absolute statement? And instead of spending 58 million on Paqueta, they go and spend that on a Nunes or, you know, Gabriel Jesus or some of that ilk. Um, that's the challenge for them this season. But it's going to be interesting to see which way they go, especially with that striking position. We've got Peter there suggesting Tammy here, problem. There's, you know, there's, there's a lot of names out there that could potentially do a job. And it is interesting what you say there, Aaron, about what standard you go to. I think Newcastle will, will go for the, the very best. And I think someone like Callum Wilson will absolutely relish that challenge. And we know that if he keeps fit, and I've said before, for me, if you're if you're listing top tier Premier League strikers, he's in that top tier. You know, he's maybe the, towards the bottom of it, but he's still in that top tier. Mm-hmm. Fit, uh, match fit, he can be, you know, one of the very best number nines, you know, in, in the Premier League. And I think he would relish the challenge of trying to keep whoever they bring in out of that spot. Um, we will dive into the comments. A uh, question here from Elliot Parker who is watching from Australia. Thank you very much for tuning in. Uh, he asks about Tarkovsky, and, and do you think Newcastle are, are genuinely interested in him? Look, this was a one that, you know, popped up in January and it felt at the time, you know, had Burnley not been in a relegation battle that it might have came off. This time around, it's different in the summer because he's on a free, you know, as we've said in other directions, has the standard now raised where if they can go and get a Botman for 40 million, do they really need Tarkovsky on a free? Um, you know, everything that we heard about it in January was that the player wanted to make a move. He's been linked with the likes of Villa and Everton, but it looks like Newcastle is priority. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if they're looking at sort of better targets this summer. It's interesting because I've just written down there the, the centre-backs that I think are likely to stay this summer. And you've got the cells, Burn, Cher, and then you, a new arrival. So you, let's say Botman comes in. But you would think Clark and Fernandez are out the door. Isaac Hayden's been putting lots of sort of messages on, on social media. He's someone who often filled in at centre back, but we don't think Castle or, or you know a team anyone that will get their centre midfielders to fill in centre back. So you're looking at maybe four centre backs. You will you will need a fifth, but then it goes down to whether Tarkovsky would want to join a club where he's not necessarily even third choice maybe. Yeah that's the thing if Tarkovsky came in and I'd be interested to know what the fans think about this because does he raise the level that much? You know, does he come in and instantly take a centre-back spot? I don't think he does. 
when you've got, you know, you've seen how well Shah's played this season, um, then obviously you, you know, potentially have a Botman who I don't think he walks in over. And then Dan Byrne, who, you know, hasn't put too many, you know, hasn't made too many mistakes since he came in. So it probably comes down to, you know, which players want um, to come in and play. Yeah, definitely. Rogers there saying uh, to Crosby's not good enough. We had Kath Chandler there, who is aiming for sixth next season. That kind of just sums up the optimism around the club. And we, that leads us on to actually um, this the topic of season tickets. We're still waiting for any word from the club about potential season tickets. If you know, We know the renewal date has passed for those who are looking to already have season tickets. Um, lots and lots of questions on social media. It's, it's a question I get asked. Daddy, every day, do we do we have an update? Do we know? Do we know? It's going to be carnage either way. Whatever, whatever the club decide, and I think that, you know, there's two points to be made here. It wasn't so long ago when Newcastle were having to give away season tickets. You know, they give away ten thousand half season tickets. They could fill that stadium out three, four yeah. times over. You know, it's this is the change that the table has brought about. The second point being, who else got to make a decision about season tickets? It's not a decision that I envy at all. No, it's a position that you know many of these you know people working at St James Park never had to come across. You know anyone that's been there the last fifteen years, you know they probably won't have experienced the man that's going to come away this summer when it's announced. Um, so yeah, look, it, they're going to be like going to start there. Everybody's going to be waiting for um, for information. But look, when the season comes around in August, you know it's going to be interesting to see. If, you know, full St James's again. Mm. I'll be, I'll be full without a doubt. I mean, there's plenty of theories about what's going to happen. I've seen some people suggest that if there are already thirty-five thousand season ticket holders, do Newcastle decide just to not release any more, and the remaining what would be like twenty thousand tickets would just go on sale to members, and then general sale, for, you know, for single match days. Yeah, look, it's interesting because obviously, you know, some people take issue with the away. Uh, ticket system, you know, whatever the club do this summer, there's going to be, you know, people, you know, think that's the wrong decision. But yeah, look, it's a tricky one for the club to decide. Um, but look, the sooner we get any news on it, the better, I think. Mm. Peter asks, do we know when the friendly tickets go on sale? They're playing Atlanta on the hands, um, Bill Bow, which takes a Europe to James Park. One's played on the Friday, one played on the Saturday. I think the Saturday kickoff is still yet to be what time it is. Mm-hmm. It's an 8 pm kickoff on the Friday for the Atlanta game. Um, we don't know the details of that yet. The club haven't announced them. They'll announce them in, in due course. But I, you know, I suspect that I, they'll have to open most of that ground. Mm-hmm. The fans will flock and fill out. You know, they, they, they maybe underestimated the interest when they opened St. James Park for the women's game and they end up having to open more tiers. I, I wouldn't be surprised if those two games, or at least the Friday isn't, isn't, isn't a sellout as well, because if they've signed new players as well, there'll be so much interest and intrigue just to see not just the players, but of course them in the new strips potentially as well. Yeah, I mean, look, it'll be a summer's afternoon against top-class opposition who, you know, we haven't seen too much of at Newcastle from abroad. You're potentially going to have two or three signs by then, we would hope. New kits, like you say, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if it was sell out at all. Good to see the club are doing that though, that, you know, Eddie Howe talks about it a lot in his press conferences that you know he wants the standards to be high. They've brought in two clubs from abroad who won in Italy, who you know has challenged in the Champions League almost every year, and Bilbao, who are a, a big Spanish club. So I'm glad to see them come to two home friendlies of, of 
you know, good opposition. Got there, David asking or making the point whether he's going to be interested to see if fans would be happy about staging renaming as that could bring in lots of sponsorships. If you look around Premier League, you know, Arsenal's ground, City's yeah. ground. It's it's caused controversy before, controversy before when Mike Ashley announced it would be a sports director arena, then it became Wonga, was it, you know, or Wonga, yeah. Wonga came Wonga. in and then decided they were going to rename it to James Park, which which obviously won them a lot of favour. I think whatever would happen this time around, and I, I, I for one, I, I would love to see just stay at James Park. There's no reason to believe it, it won't do. But I think if it did happen, there'd be a consultation. It wouldn't just happen. It wouldn't just be announced. This is what's happening. I think that would, the new owners would talk to fans and they, they, they'd look to, to just get their opinions on board and they wouldn't make a decision without getting the feeling of the fans. And that's one of the, the key differences. These owners understand how much that stadium, you know, which is just, just behind us, actually, it's a, it's a great view when you walk into our office, you have to look out onto it. Um, but they understand how much that means to it, the, the name means to it, the tradition. You know, they understand, they understand a lot that Mike actually either chose to ignore or something just didn't get. I think he chose to ignore it more than the fact that he didn't understand it. But, yeah, look, I agree 100%. I think the owners are going to take the fan. Um, the fans on board with their journey and, and there will be consultations over big decisions such as that. We've already seen the work that they're doing with the trust and what they've done with War Flags, which is promising. This time around, as, as that comment just mentioned, it would bring a lot of sponsorship opportunity. It would bring a lot of money to the football club. We've seen it with the Emirates. You know, We've seen it with the Etihad. I think fans would be a lot more receptive to it these days than when it was so, uh, the Sports Direct Arena. Which obviously was just sort of thrust upon fans with no input and was obviously all for Mike Ashley's gain. I feel like if it did happen, and as you say, you know, there's no suggestion that it will, but if it did, I think fans would be more open to it. One, if they'd have the club's input, and two, because obviously of, of the new ownership. Because I think anyone that came in would be confident it would get reinvested yeah. into the club and they would see benefits from, from it, but they say no word to suggest that it is happening. And just to finish off, we briefly mentioned it there, kits, a lot of interest on the new strips, new kits, a lot of photographs being banded about on social media. You know, it is something that always sparks excitement. And I, I, I actually can't think of another time when fans have been this excited about new kits. Yeah, I mean, look, it's not just kits, it's who's going to be on the kits and the sponsors. I think some fans are more excited about the kits and the transfer window, to be fair, from what I've seen on social media. But obviously, we had that sort of uh, teaser last night from Castor on their Instagram, um, which we covered on the Chronicle if you haven't seen it. So, it, last year, funnily enough, you know, they, they launched the new home kit. It was July 10th. Based on Castor's sort of hint last night on Instagram, it, where they said it was coming soon, it might be a little bit sooner. Um, we've obviously seen the leaked kits on social media, um, which have drawn some criticism. But... Um, yeah, it's exciting to see what they're going to do and, and who's going to sponsor them as well. Yeah, you have to stay tuned for any updates. Do head over to chroniclelive.co.uk. For those watching live on Facebook, YouTube and Twitter, thank you very much for watching. We do appreciate your company. And for those listening later on the podcast, please remember to follow the podcast. Totally free to do. It just means if every new episode we upload, you will get a notification so it's ready to listen or download. And do head over to chroniclelive.co.uk.